All right, here we are recording now on the third episode of the Lily of the Herbs podcast. Really excited. I've got another person uh, that I've collected, one of the incredible herbalists of Australia. Um, Today I have Miriam from the Open Heart Apothecary and I'll introduce you in a sec, but I just want to say I met Miriam... Maybe it was three or four years ago in Sydney at this wise women's gathering of herbalists and it was incredible. I haven't been since but really connected with Miriam and she was telling me about her journey of doing her degree in Bachelor of Western Herbal Medicine and Zentai Shiatsu and she was just thriving and incredible and since then she's really inspired me on my journey. So welcome Miriam. Thank you, Lily. That's super nice. I do remember our first little meeting at the Wise Women's Gathering. It was really special. Mm, Yeah, and you've just developed so much more since then. And I've always seen the way that Miriam works. She's really interested in plant energetics, which is what we'll be talking about today. And also, and she works with the humoral temperament um, and I guess lots of different traditional styles of diagnostic techniques as well with your Zentai Shiatsu. So I'd like to talk with you about that today, just to see how it's really different to the biomedical kind of just treat the disease, kind of mask the symptoms approach. Yeah, yeah no, it's a really good conversation to have. Mm, yeah because we need to have more of inspire more people to do that in their practice I feel and to reach out to practitioners who who work in that way maybe we'll start with this first question and just hear from you like yeah what inspired you on this journey well I think like a lot of people who have kind of pursued um you know studies in herbalism I I clawed through my advanced diploma I didn't I didn't do the bachelor but I did my advanced diploma of herbal medicine you know which was interesting and inspiring in ways but it left me with a real feeling of being quite disillusioned Um, I started with a lot of enthusiasm and passion for herbal medicine and that kind of if I'm going to be totally honest got slowly chipped away um, by how reductive and narrow my studies were essentially and in one way that was bad because I had points where I was like wow do I really want to do this like all the kind of magic of what you know the plant world is and of what medicine is um is being you know it's not really being translated or or communicated um you know when you're studying an institution so I had moments where I didn't know whether I wanted to keep going but at the same time that kind of um stoked a really big fire in me to find out what else was out there that feeling that something was really missing and that kind of really just um put me in a path of really really searching for the magic in herbal medicine and you know Mm. that led me towards um a lot of different kinds of traditional medicine and my first kind of touch with traditional medicine was through practicing Zentai Shiatsu or learning Zentai Shiatsu and being introduced to Chinese medicine. And I, you've done that as well. And I think if you're a herbalist or, you know, any kind of healer, the first time that you come into contact with traditional medicine and the poetry of traditional medicine and the way they use their language to make us feel and connect to, you know, a concept um, you know, we hear different terms 
and you know the use of the elements and things like this it just opens up something inside of you and so that was when I realized that traditional medicine was really what I wanted to study and was really the way I wanted to go so I started off learning about Chinese medicine and that was really beautiful and it started to set up a way of thinking in my mind and a way to approach medicine and that eventually led me on to diving even deeper into traditional medicine and um and sort of embarking on a journey to learn about our own tradition which Mm -hmm. is the western tradition which comes a lot out of um ancient greece and as you mentioned the constitutional and humoral medicine of ancient greece Um, and unfortunately there's not many people out there practicing it we know that there's a lot of Ayurveda and a lot of Chinese medicine, um, which, you know, I'm so grateful that we have access to here in the West, but, you know, really um, reconnecting, reinvigorating, bringing back the Western tradition is is what really inspires me and, and moves me on my journey now, because that language is the language of, you know, our, our bloodlines as a culture. Mm. And, you know, we have this tendency to constantly be looking towards the East which is great. There's, there's so much, um, you know, knowledge and wisdom to be found in the East, but, you know, we sprinkle the fairy dust over there and we don't realize that, you know, there is so much magic. There is so much mysticism. There is so much wisdom in our own Western tradition. Um, and it's really important that we, we reconnect to that and we, you know, we re-enchant the West. So that's, that's what inspires me. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, that's, and maybe we could make that distinction. So even though, was your advanced diploma supposedly called Western Herbal Medicine? Was it still called that? Yeah. It was, yeah. 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 So I had an advanced diploma of, of Western Herbal Medicine. So, but even though it was called Western Herbal Medicine, it still really wasn't going back and honouring that traditional roots. It was a little bit like a... No, natural- no, no, no. no, and I mean... You can understand that in a way, you know, this is an institution and, you know, our institutions are a part of our culture and our culture has a very um, linear way of seeing things and approaching the world and our culture also has quite a reductive way. And, you know, science, science is another mode of thought and I'm so grateful for science and I'm not dissing biomedicine or science at all. Mm. It has taken us to great places and done great things. But, you know, when our culture spends too long in this mode, it loses something, it loses its soul. And the West Mm. has lost its soul, essentially. So, yeah, even though I studied Western herbal medicine, it didn't have anything to do with, um, you know, traditional Western herbal medicine. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah. So who... um who has inspired you? Like what herbalists or bodies of work inspired you to, and have helped you to learn this, this lost language really? Yeah, well, I would have to say for the past maybe 15 months, I've been immersed in an apprenticeship um, into the, you know, medical tradition of the West. And that's with my teacher, Ginny Willumban. Um, And so he has managed to collect and collate and deeply sit with and research and, you know, imbibe a lot of the myths and stories and culture of the ancient West, um, which, you know, once we understand the way uh, culture thinks and sees the world, then we can understand its medicine. So I've been sitting with those stories and those myths for the past 15 months or so. So 
in terms of, you know, specifically Western traditional medicine, I would have to say that he has been my greatest teacher. I love a lot of teachers um, in terms of like the broader, sort of broader field of, you know, plant energetics or, you know, constitutions. Matthew Wood mm. um, is quite the master, especially his deep, deep knowledge, deep and very specific knowledge of plants, which I find amazing to the point that he can almost, well, he doesn't almost, he does use, you know, herbal medicine homeopathically because he's so familiar with the specific indications and energetics of a plant that he can, you know, apply one drop. So I think, I think that's uh, pretty amazing. Um, I love the work of Steve and Buna. Mm. for he um he's what he calls heart perception which is like a totally different um mode of being and a totally different mode of perception that we need to step into if we are going to be able to um not only perceive the energetics of plants but if you're going to be in clinic to perceive the energetics of people as well and it's not only so we can be good herbalists but i think cultivating that mode of being is actually um, part of what we need to do to, to heal our culture and, and heal the world. Because again, it goes back to, you know, our culture spends so much time in that very narrow, analytic, literal mode of perception that we just need to bring back the balance. We need to antidote that. And so, you know, Stephen, Stephen Buna calls it heart perception. Some people might call it you know, intuition or integration, but returning to that feeling sense, mm. um, returning to somatic and to our body. And, you know, it's, it's very visceral. It's very physical. It's not woo-woo, but returning to our body as a gauge and a compass to be able to sense things and just ask ourselves, like, how does, how does this feel? You know, like feeling versus thinking. Um, I really try to use that a lot in my work and in the way that I move in the world. Um, so he's been a really good influence um, as well. And as far as, um, you know, sort of more classical um, herbalists, there's a, there's a woman called Hildegard von Bingen mm -hmm. and she was, a, have you heard of her? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's Tell amazing. <laughs> you know, I don't know heaps about her life because I've only just returned to, you know, some of her, some of her writings and stuff, but she wasn't only an amazing herbalist, she was a nun and she was an amazing composer of music and she was just uh, very much embodied uh, this kind of mystic woman that was so in touch with plant and so, plants and so in touch with spirit and she's got, you know, a lot of amazing, beautiful folk remedies for a lot of common plants and I just think she's a really interesting character that I'm currently just kind of meeting at the moment. Mm. wow there's a long long deep history there so it sounds like you've come you know you've got jimmy willamban as your teacher now and he's been inspired by these people and like honoring the lineage which i think is such an important part of exactly. medicine and healing your teachers it's such an important part of medicine it really is and you know i think sometimes in the west which is why we always turn to the east um we feel like we're kind of lost and we don't have a lineage and we don't have like this golden thread that connects us back, but there, there really is one. It just hasn't been spoken too much and a really beautiful way to access it is, is through medicine and through herbal medicine all the way back, you know, to, to Empedocles who, who came up with the five element system in, you know, the fifth century BC 
back further and further to, you know, these great Greek thinkers that paved the way for, you know, people like Jung who, you know, have the, the, you know, the four different, um, you know, modes of being and things like that. So there is a, you know, there is a thread and there is a line and it's, it's just for us to take our place in it. I think it's really important. Mm, yes. And especially also reliving that culture in Australia, which is kind of why I started this podcast, linking up Australian grassroots traditional herbalists. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I think it's awakening in America where Matthew Wood comes from um, and is he England? I don't know. But anyway, yeah, this is incredible. I feel like we've got so much. We're like, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, wow, this can go so far. I know. <laughs> But um, so with, with a session, like if you're in clinic, how would a session work for you? And could you bring in, I want to start to bring in these concepts of like plant energetics and working with the temperaments, constitutions. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah. Maybe yeah, that's, that's yeah. Talk you through like how it would differ, like a session with you would differ to maybe going to see a naturopath. Mm, sure. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I think it's a really important thing to speak to because actually also, you know, you don't have to study to become a herbalist, but if you choose to go to the clinical path, you kind of, you kind of need to if you want to be qualified. And there's, not, there's no education on the space you need to hold inside yourself when you are sitting across from a person. And, you know, clinic suddenly becomes this very sterilized thing when it is anything but that, you know, the clinic is a, a sacred space. It really is for, um, you know, personal transformation to occur. And that's like, before I go into the details of what I personally do, it's good to like speak to the container, you know, and the container that's created, you know, has to be one where, I'm not only trying to figure out what's wrong with you and what pills and potions to give you, but I'm trying to understand what the context is in which this stuff is occurring. And there's layers of context for sure. But the ultimate, you know, context is the story in which this disease is occurring. And what is the story that's informing the actions that are leading towards your imbalance. Mm. So the clinic has to be this sacred space where we not only figure out, you know, whether it's your liver or your heart, you know, or your gut, we're there to figure out what, what is the story? What is the unconscious story that's running you, you know? And that's the sacred container in which all the other things happen because unless we address that story at the same time as giving you the pills and potions, and it's kind of like, I don't know, an analogy would just be like, you know, feeding a plant if the soil was like totally dry and degraded and, you know, it's about the, the broader context. So clinic, you know, clinic is a sacred space. It's a sacred space for personal transformation. So I think that's really important to, to speak to as well. Herbal medicine is not just about pills and potions and it can't just be about pills and potions. It's got to be about you know, the story and, and the psyche and, and your soul, essentially, which sounds really big. But I mean, I think this is how herbal medicine used to be practiced. You know, it, there was a map, you know, and so when we talk about the temperaments, you know, 
they're based on the four elements which Empedocles came up with. And those four elements are about archetypes in nature, essentially. And those so archetypes... The, so the temperaments are like, they're, they're sort of like archetypes to describe the kind of person that you're getting based on their elemental makeup. You know, you're an earth wood person or something like that. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we can start talking about the temperament. Just pause me because I can go on a rant, hey? Yeah, let's start talking about the temperament. So the temperaments, originally they were based on the four elements and Empedocles in the 5th or 6th century BC, he came up with the four element system. But the thing about Empedocles was that he just didn't see the elements as fire, water, air, and earth. He saw them as gods, essentially. Mm -hmm. And the idea there is that there is a force running through each of these elements and each of those forces are palpable. So if you are, and, and we'll start speaking about it in this way, but it expands a little later. If you are a fire person, you can feel that force running through you. And so if that is a visceral, palpable thing, then, you know, in the eyes of the ancient ones, that was like a God possessing you or a God running through you. So that's a helpful little setup for us to understand that our temperaments are not just about, well, you know, are we like phlegmy or are we fiery? It's, it helps us to understand a model for our psyche, essentially, that at some times or at some points in our lives, for example, if I'm a very type A fiery personality, you know, in the eyes of the ancient ones, they would say you are, you are possessed by Aries, mm. for example. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's one piece. And we all have a sort of temperament or a constitution that we tend towards. But I think once again, as time has gone on and as our culture has done what it does to things, which is kind of reduce things, temperament has sort of become a life sentence in a way. So we say you are a fire type or you are a water type, you are air or you are earth. And when we identify ourselves too narrowly with one thing, we actually start to lose the other parts of ourselves that we don't normally associate with ourselves because, you know, our culture wants to typify things. Our culture wants to put things in boxes. So I say this because, you know, you or me aren't just one single constitution or one single temperament. We are all of them. Mm. And actually in Greek medicine, is this making sense so far? Yeah, beautiful. Good. Okay, great. So in Greek medicine, you know, one of the central laws, and not L-A-W, but L-O-R-E, one of the central values that uh, permeated their way of thinking was the idea of the balance of powers. So actually, temperament is not a life sentence, and it is not the box that you fit in, but temperament is potential, essentially. And so if you find yourself dominated by one God, then the medicine becomes how do you bring in those other 
powers? How do you regain balance? And that's a really central theme of um, traditional, medicine, um, traditional Western medicine coming from Greece. It's about the balance of powers, essentially. Mm-hmm. So we all, as I said, will we'll gear towards one kind of um, constitution, but I think it's really important not to narrow ourselves too much and rather look at temperament as something that is dynamic rather than fixed. And so if you are dominated by fire, if you're dominated by Aries when you are at work and you come home and you're still in that mode and then you go to your lover, you know, it's like what else, when do we need to change? How can our temperament be dynamic? How can it be in flux? How can we learn to be malleable essentially and flexible? Um, How do we, you know, use constitutional medicine as a as a map for our soul and as a map for our psyche if our story you know is is making us live in one mode of being how do we start to call in the others essentially Mm, wow so it sounds like a session with you is not just like oh you've got some gut stuff going on Hmm, well you know i can just prescribe these herbs because they're they're good for the gut and you've got some mind stuff going on so i'll give you some mind stuff it's like seeing this whole being and all of their godly power and coming from your heart and you're not like they're a fire type either you're like wow you're i'm seeing this element come through you and i want to call in here and i'm not just treating your physical body i'm treating your spirit and your soul and um exactly and it's not i mean the language that i use is different for each kind of client yeah if i'm speaking in those terms to you know someone who is you know quite um not necessarily exposed to that kind of language well you're really gonna freak them out a little bit you know but that that is the language that is informing me and that is the model that i'm sitting in right now and playing and experimenting with right now there are many other models and many other ways that you can use but for me that's what's making the most sense right now essentially and again it comes back to what is that greater story that you're sitting in what is that unconscious narrative that's running you right now what is the god that's possessing you right now you know because until we can um name the force that's possessing us we can't enter it we can't enter into relationship with it essentially so yes it's definitely Oh, go on. Were you about to say well, something? I was going to say, like, I know that we, it's like there's so many forces there, but I was wondering, are there like four main forces? Like, you know, where we are everything, but could you just break down what the four ones mainly are or a combination? Yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, let me think what language we are going to speak in. Do you want me to talk about like the four Greek temperaments? Yeah, talk about them. Would that be? Yeah. Uh, okay. So we have the, firstly, the caloric type, which, um, which correlates with the fire element and the humour, the Greek humour that um, sits there is yellow bile. So in a very simple way, without me getting too ranty, that's really about um, the active principle in the world. It's the part of us that acts and does and initiates like, like the divine spark. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. really the, the caloric type. And because it's um, it's to do with yellow bile, it's got a lot to do with our liver and with heat and heat patterns and stuff like that. 
And so if we continue around the medicine wheel, then we have the earth type, which is in Greek medicine is called the sanguine constitution and the humor um, associated with that is blood. And that's all about our kind of sensuous connection with the world, essentially. Um, then we have our phlegmatic type, which is the water element. And that is all to do with a sort of emotional, very much feeling introverted kind of space. And then we have, what do we have left? Oh, we have the melancholic type. And the humour for that is black bile. And the melancholic type has to do, um, is associated with air. Sorry, the phlegmatic is associated with water. I don't know if I said that. The melancholic type has to do with, or is associated with air. And that has to do with our thinking and our logic and our mind sort of capacities. So they're kind of the four different Greek constitutions or temperaments essentially and like I said it become it is about well you know your liver and and your gut and all the different organs associated with each of those things but each of those directions is also it's it's a model for psyche you know it points towards temperament it points towards the way the mind the way the person's psyche works so you can use them as portals to you know um, explore everything from the physical organ, from what the humor's doing, all the way up to, you know, our psychological space and, and to our soul space. Beautiful. So amazing. And I think so many people don't know this exists. You know, they know about the doshas from Ayurveda, Kapha, Pita, Vata. They know about in Chinese medicine, you've got the, you've got the different, the earth person, the wood person. And it's like, yeah, these are out there too. Yeah. There is a tradition and lineage here. But, and we are all of these. It's a gateway to the cycle. Exactly. Mm, that's amazing. And exactly. how do you then tie this into plants? Like is each plant a part of, has their own kind of tumour or like elements of within that to kind of match? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So firstly, first off I'll say it's so interesting being a herbalist that I, you can land anywhere from like, you know, being really into plants, being very scientific to being very shamanistic with it. And um, what actually draws me most to herbal medicine is, is the people and the way these dynamics work inside the human body. Um, and so plants, I mean, I'm, it's, I still know a lot about plants, but I can talk in a lot more detail about how they show up in the person. As mm -hmm. I understand it, plant energetics, they still come from an elemental system. So, you know, the elements obviously predate everything. So plant energetics it's also about the personality of a plant. And as far as I understand in Greek medicine, and I could totally be wrong, but Greek medicine doesn't have the same classification for plants. So I don't think you have choleric plants or melancholic plants. You have plants for melancholy, mm. but as far as the way that they classify plants, I don't think they use that same language, but the language that I use to understand plant energetics has come a lot from um, people like Matthew Wood who classify plants very simply in terms of their hot or cold dynamics, in terms of their fluid dynamics, whether they're moist or dry, and in terms of their, you know, tensity dynamics, whether they're, you know, relaxing or whether they, they tone the tissue. Um, so you can definitely have different kinds of plants to help to balance different kinds of constitutions and temperaments and to help balance, you know, 
the amount of the humors and this kind of thing. But I don't think the classification of, you know, choleric, melancholic, melancholic phlegmatic and sanguine um, transfers to plants in that way. But you can mm. definitely think of them in the same way. This is just a language, you know, it's just a language and it's just a model. And like I said, they come from the elements. So, you know, Galen, who was like, a, we, we know Galen was, he was a, a, a Greek, um, you know, medical man back in the day he didn't even use the the greek temperaments he used hot cold dry and moist and that definitely applies to plants as well so it's just it's just an elemental language it's the language of nature essentially and the very cool thing about this language is that is it, it is accessible to us through our senses mm. and we can feel these things if we you know kind of try to drop out of our thinking mind and into our body we can feel these things about about plants we can feel if they're warming or if they're cooling we can take a little bit of you know chew up a little bit of yarrow leaf and you will know immediately that it's drying by the way you know it puckers up your tongue and and makes it you know astringent so that's that's the cool thing about energetics and that's the cool thing about traditional medicine is that it, it's in a language that, that is sensible to our bodies. And I think that's, that brings us into an intimacy with medicine and an intimacy with the plant world that we can't quite reach with the language of biomedicine, which is the language that dominates, you know, herbalists and naturopaths at the moment. It's like there's this, there's this distance with that language. We we can't quite get into things with, you know, when we're constantly um, becoming quite reductive and narrow and talking about, you know, ACE2 inhibitors or other things. I'm, it's, it's not my language at all, so I can't give many <laughs> examples. <laughs> but um, we, we can't get a sense of things. And I think when we zoom out a little bit, you know, that, that turns off a very important part of us, you know, a part of us that I think is really necessary to, to practicing effectively and deeply. So that's, that's why preserving the language of traditional medicine and preserving the language of the West, I think is, is a really important cultural task. Mm, yes. Yes. Beautiful. I, I feel that so much. I feel that, like you said, the kind of like taking the magnifying glass back a little bit and opening up to the whole person and that person is a whole part of nature they are and also so is that plan instead of zooming right into this isolated one tiny part which forgets that everything is a chain reaction if you do this to the body then there's going to be this whole chain reaction if you already coming from a place that's a little bit further out it's easier to to be yeah calling for balance which i feel is really what everyone is in the whole world is crying out for right now. It's like, treat me as a whole, help me be balanced. <laughs> and it's totally, and I think that's one of the major differences between the kind of modern biomedical approach, which as I said, serves amazing purposes and the traditional approach is that the traditional approach is about perceiving patterns and processes while and it's non-linear while the modern biomedical approach is about cause and effect and it's linear and i just for me we can't sit we can't solely sit in that approach because if you just look outside 
there is no such thing as a linear relationship. Like this, this is an ecology. There are multiple causal factors happening all at once. We cannot say A equals B with anything in nature. It's mm-hmm. in, and, and, and in the body, we cannot just say, you know, I'm having indigestion because I don't have enough stomach acid. That all happens within a wider context of a multitude of other kind of forces, which not only include your physical forces, which not only include your humours, but also include your socioeconomic situation. Mm. You know, they also include your relationship with your family. They also include, you know, how, what the story is that's making you work so much that you can't even sleep at night. You know what I mean? So that's the thing about biomedicine. It tries to say A equals B where we know intuitively and obviously that that, that's not necessarily how the world works. So traditional medicine gets us to think in terms of patterns and processes. And that does something that does something to our mind. You know, it, a herbalist isn't just, like I said, about pills and potions. I think to really practice in terms of patterns and process, it's a totally different way of seeing the world. And I, that's just one of the things that, you know, I enjoy so much about being a traditional herbalist. It's really asked me to, to totally shift the way that I, I see and move in this world completely because to, to be able to perceive pattern, to be able to perceive wholeness, there has to be, you have to come from some place of wholeness as well. You know, we can't, we can't perceive wholeness through our fractured lens. And that's definitely not to say I've, I've become whole and I've become healed or anything like that. But engaging with that process does something, you know, to the neural networks of our brain, you know, and it, and it makes them more integrated and it makes them more capable of, of perceiving the bigger picture. And that changes absolutely everything. Wow. Yeah. It makes it fine tunes things. Maybe you're not saying you've, you've become whole, but you, you're, you can like adapt and kind of shift and constantly kind of like be a fluid moving, adapting being. Exactly. There's, I think I have a couple of, I have a couple more questions about where I want to take this. And one of them was, um, how do you feel that working this traditional way in a modern societal context, how can that work alongside with like biomedical testing and people who do go to the GP? Like, can you work alongside that? Mm, Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm all for integration. You know what I mean? Like, and I am all for um, getting over this sort of um, polarized dynamic that we see so much in the world today where it's either tradition or it's modern science, you know, or it's black or it's white or it's this or it's that. Integration is really important. And I will also say that, um, you know, biomedical testing is definitely not my strong point, (laughs) you know, and I'm sure I would be a far better practitioner if I, I had a bit more knowledge and skills around that. But I think definitely um, it also really, you know, we really have to take care of our patients here as well. And if you've got someone in front of you that really would feel much better for, you know, getting their bloods done or their estrogen profile done and bringing them to you, 
then I think that's so important. You know, we cannot just like impose our ideals and our way of doing things, you know, on, on top of other people, especially on top of our clients. So I think there is definitely place for biomedical testing, especially if, you know, the pattern isn't clear, you know, or if you're not sure. And that's totally, it's totally okay. You know what I mean? To want to go and get some scientific biomedical confirmation, or especially if you have, you know, a hypothesis and you, you want to see whether, you know, it really is their liver and whether their estrogen levels really are elevated and, and how elevated, you know? So I think um, if you need it and if you want it to be able to clarify or if your client, you know, will feel um, more calm or more confident, then I'm totally not uh, against any sort of biomedical testing um, at all. Um, and I think it can also be really interesting because once you've done all your traditional diagnostics, like I use uh, tongue and pulse and I also do urine, which is, um, you know, used a lot in Tibetan medicine, but also a lot in, um, in ancient, well, traditional Western medicine. Um, it can be really cool to see your findings, um, you know, confirmed or backed up by, by biomedical testing. So I'm all for integration and I don't think one has to be chosen over the other. Mm, beautiful but they're just different lenses they might help you to come to the same place depending on your personality but yeah often exactly. I actually I mean I personally feel often it might be just more helpful instead of like I have to know exactly what's happening in my body and what my exact level is is like just to yeah trust the process but one thing that's interesting is like this biomedical testing its history is in the traditional western herbal medicine that's where it actually comes from those roots so maybe and yeah right so often, like, I guess so often people are like, I want to do traditional medicine and because Western herbal medicine, traditional Western herbal medicine and teachers available in that, it's not accessible really. They might go and do, learn Ayurvedic medicine or Chinese medicine. They can do a degree in that. But there's something like, yeah, yeah my roots are in Ireland and Scotland and England and I have that, I have that Western background. So there's so, and I, and I really resonate and work well with those plants. So yeah, I feel that this is a, a revolution like this isn't a reawakening that needs to happen to work to come and kind of compliment yeah we need to it honor is, the it's, and it's a, exactly 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 and it's a reawakening not just for herbal medicine not just for for medicine but a reawakening for our culture like i said it's like um you know the west is a bit lost you know we don't have a tether back to our lineage. And I'm not speaking about, you know, individual people. I'm speaking about the culture as a whole, you know, it's kind of just like floating around in space. And I think our, um, our yearning for our roots is fuel for a lot of the addictions of our culture. And medicine is just one way to reinvigorate a connection to our roots but hopefully doing it through medicine and there are many other people doing it through many other ways, but hopefully eventually that will bleed out into the rest of our culture to give us some sense of, of where we're from and, you know, the laws and rights that, that informed the, the big values, the meta values that we need to cultivate in our culture today to help antidote some of the, you know, the trauma and atrocities that, that are happening, you know, right now. Mm, 
definitely. This mm. is we're almost going into the territory of what I want my next podcast to be about, which is going to be called "Why We Need a Herbal Revolution." <laughs> awesome, awesome. I'll say I'll say one cool thing. How you mentioned like there's not so many teachers or access to you know the the traditions of the West, and you're right in medicine you do have to do a lot of scholarly study to be able to extract, you know, um, the, the details and practice of, you know, Hippocratic medicine or Galenic medicine or anything like this, but all of the medicine and all of everything from, you know, our, our tradition was born out of, um, myth and story. Mm. And so if you really want to start to imbibe the way that, our Western ancestors saw the world, then go to the myth and story of the ancient West. I've been studying, you know, the, the ancient Greek myth and story, but there's the Celtic, of course, and there's many different lineages. And that is where our law, our L-O-R-E law is kept. And they are instructions on right way of living and even bigger than that when we read these stories and we don't analyze them because what happens now with myth and stories that we like to dissect and analyze it and say this is the lesson they're teaching us you know try reading that ancient myth and story and just letting it as if it were a god or a force in itself enter you and change the way you see the world and i think this is a really important important starting place and before i started as part of my apprenticeship to learn anything about the humors or medicine i i i ingested these stories and i still am because they they help us see the world in a way that like i said antidotes a lot of the really damaging um things we're doing you know in modern 21st century western culture so myth and story are really important Mm, thank you for that reminder. That's such a big one. I feel like that is a great lesson for me just in that moment, what you said, that to read like real history, you know, we get, we're fed with media and news and constant updates from what's happening in the government. But it's like, yeah, the history, those rich stories. Also, I guess a lot of that was probably, you know, back in those days, especially Celtic mythology and all of these things, they would have probably had a lot of verbal stories in history and and their law being passed down so i really feel that we can reawaken that now like even having you on here and us talking this is like a reawakening mm. of well we're cre- like yeah. embracing technology you know to to reawaken <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you're right you're right that oral that oral transmission of of story also requires like a totally different psychic position than what it is to write something down and read it and so even the very act of of storytelling um is medicine you know and has the ability to shift our psyche and once again the ability to shift the way we see the world and you know it's so simple it's so simple to read a story or to read a story to someone you know or to just tell a story that you've heard so i think you know we really need to start also to redefine what medicine is you know yes it's herbs and yes it's plants and yes it's pills and tinctures and decoctions and all these wonderful beautiful amazing things but it's also story 
you know, and it's also things like beauty and awe and wonder. It's, it's many things. And so, you know, redefining what medicine is, redefining what health and well-being is, um, expanding, expanding our little narrow definitions of what these things are. So, yeah, so that herbal medicine is just so much more than treating your gut and, you know, probiotics and all these things, which are so important. I'm definitely not dissing any of these things. It's just that they have to be placed inside a wider context. Mm, yes. Ah, so beautiful. Um, yeah, I, there's so much. We've just covered a really, really massive chunk of <laughs> stuff there but yeah I feel like you've given a lot of gifts and wisdom to people today listening you know like that story you started it at the start talking about the story when someone comes in to see you that you're talking with Mm -hmm. them around their story um and that Mm -hmm. cyclical journey and I think you've reawakened in me this desire to to read and to look back into history Mm -hmm. and all of those things is there anything you want to I think we might start to wrap up now, but is there anything you wanted to last wisdom you wanted to share with everyone? Like if they're about to embark on a herbal journey themselves or they're Mm. already a practitioner looking for a deeper connection to their clients or plants. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. I think that Yeah, I think, look, really just going back to that point about um, re-enchanting the West, you know, and that it's, it's not just about becoming a better practitioner, but as medicine people, as healers, as medicine men or medicine women, you know, um, this is about not only healing dis-ease, but, you know, the wounds of our culture, they speak through us you know and they show up in us and they show up in our imbalances so trying to cultivate or dive deeper into why we practice medicine you know like i said not just to heal disease not just to you know help with symptoms but this is about a cultural revolution essentially and medicine is one really powerful way that we can do that and medicine is so much about how we engage with the world, you know, and especially traditional medicine. It requires a totally different mode of perception and that mode of perception is really healing to our culture. So starting to expand the way that we work and starting to just ingest those, you know, ancient myth and story, it's, yeah, it, it goes beyond the clinic, you know, this, this bleeds out into our culture. And one thing that, I often tell my clients is that the world is begging to be healed through us, not by us. Mm. This is so much, you know, about how the wounds of our culture speak through us and what we need to do in terms of personal transformation, you know, to make things better. And that's the context in which we take the pills and potions and do the decoctions and all the other amazing fun things. But, you know, let's, Let's cultivate that sacred container and, you know, reclaim Western medicine, reclaim our tradition, re-enchant the clinic, re-enchant Western medicine. Um, I think it's probably one of the most worthy tasks that, that we can do these days. 
Thanks, Miriam. What was that again? The world is begging to be healed through us. The world is begging to be healed through us, not by us. Not by us. <laughs> Thanks, mm. Miriam. This is amazing. You can find Miriam um, on her Instagram, the Open Heart Apothecary. Do you have any other, um, do you have a website? I don't have a website, no. It's my Insta and my Facebook and, yeah, that's about it. Beautiful. And she's based in northern New South Wales and, yeah, she has some beautiful um, resources online for free as well. So thank you and I look forward to sharing this with the world. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Lily. Okay.